the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Sideline Sanity with me, Michelle Tafoya, sponsored by Legacy Precious Metals. There has never been a better time to invest in precious metals. Go to LegacyPMInvestments.com. LegacyPMInvestments.com. Coming up, Officer Brandon Tatum. For nearly three decades, she's reported the action from the sidelines. She started very young. She's covered the NBA, NFL, Olympics, and the college football and basketball national championships. And now, during these insane times in our world, Michelle Tafoya thinks we need a serious dose of sanity. This is Sideline Sanity with your host, one of the sanest people on planet Earth, Michelle Tafoya. Well, you may know him as Officer Tatum. You may know him as Brandon Tatum. Either way, he's got the Officer Tatum show now on Salem Radio Network, Salem Podcast, and he's been kind enough to take some time for us today. Uh, I'm going to call you Brandon if that's okay, unless you feel like that's sort of too close to let's go, Brandon. Would you rather? <laughs> would you oh, rather I'm, I'm, my father named me Brandon, and I'm proud of it. Uh, you should be. Uh, and you just launched a perfect starting point, your father. Um, y- you know, you're a you're a part of a proud football family. I know that. And I'm just wondering what your earliest memory of your parents is. Um, interesting. Uh, <laughs> I can say um, I can remember the emotional feeling from my earliest stages with my parents and I always felt loved. Uh, my mom literally would do anything she could to make sure me and my brother was happy. My mom and dad were separated. Um, however, my dad was always there. My dad was always in me and my brother's lives, uh, you know, going to our games and supporting us in school, whooping us when it's time, you know, all <laughs> of the things that good fathers and parents do. So my earliest emotional feelings uh, were always uh, feelings of love and and compassion and, and and good solid consistent discipline. I had Coach Tony Dungy on recently, and he's very big on all pro dad and fathers in the home and that kind of thing. What do you think motivated your dad to stay so in touch with his kids? Obviously, he loved you, but you you hear very often about an absentee dad when parents get separated or divorced. Why do you think he was so conscientious about it? Well, I think because his dad wasn't there, you know, I, you know, my grandfather wasn't consistently there in my dad's life for whatever reason, you know, he came back in my father's life later, later in life. And he, he um, unfortunately passed away, but I think my dad always wanted to make sure that we had what he never had and that he would be the best father and do the things that his father didn't do in his life. And, you know, outside of my dad just being a good man, you know, it's it's the right thing to do. And so with love, also with the commitment from the experiences that he had with his father, and also my dad being a solid individual yeah. with integrity and, you know, no matter what the circumstances were, and, and they were difficult, trust me. My mom was difficult in some, you know, sometimes but my dad hung in there and, you know, I think that that really had a profound effect on my life. You were a terrific high school football player, played division one football. How did football shape who you've become? Football has had a tremendous impact on my life. It kept me out of trouble. It kept me making good grades when it was compelling not to, when it was compelling to do things that I shouldn't have done especially going to, you know, Dunbar High School, which is right in the middle of the hood and stop six. But playing football helped me learn teamwork, discipline, and it really gave me goals to look forward to. Because when other guys that I would go to school with, they were looking, you know, to graduate and then go get a job. I had inspirations, uh, aspirations of becoming an NFL football player. So I had the opportunity to look forward to graduation, 
I was an All-American and look forward to recruiting, uh, to look forward to going to college and then playing in college. I had so many big dreams and accomplishments to look forward to that it really helped with the trajectory of my life. And I'd say this, when I moved away from home and I went to college, that was a profound, had a profound impact because I was able to get out of my uh, current environment and go to something different. And I think that really made me the man I am today. It's, it's remarkable what the game can do for people, what any sport can do for people. And there is so much lesson in it. I've seen it firsthand. I've seen it with my own kids. And that's, I think the one thing I love about sport more than anything else, you get to college, you have a terrific career and how, how much were you counting on being drafted in the NFL draft? Well, when I first got to college, because you, I was I was the top player in the nation coming out of high school, and I played in the U.S. Army All-American game with Deshaun Jackson and Jonathan Stewart, and I forget all of uh, Dominican Sue was on my team. Wow. I mean, we had so many impactful guys that we all thought we were going to the NFL. It was just a matter of playing in college football and getting stats and, and just having fun and then getting drafted in the first round. And so when I first got to college, I was a freak athlete. I ran a 4-3 and a 40. I had a 44-inch vertical leap. Uh, I really blew him out of the water. My statistics, when I was in high school coming to college, I didn't even play my first game. I did better than every single NFL player did in the combine that that year, and I was only a freshman. So I really believed that I had the talent, the ability, and because of my previous success that I would get drafted in the NFL. And things started going south for me in college football. I got injured my sophomore year. You know, I wasn't used to the way coaches would yell at me and, and they would be you know, absolutely out of their minds. And, I, and I, I wasn't mature enough to handle that discipline. I took it personal. Um, and, you know, so it really hurt my career initially. So initially I thought, you know, at the beginning I thought NFL was number one and I was going to NFL no matter what. And then it began, reality begins to hit. And I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to make it. And I need to consider, you know, other options. Right. Right. So you don't get drafted. How disappointing was that? What was that feeling like? Because you could have persisted, right? I mean, a lot of guys don't get drafted. They wind up scrambling, scrambling, scrambling. They get a job somewhere. You didn't choose that route. So what was going through your mind after the draft? Yeah, so not getting drafted was incredibly disappointing. I mean, it was one of the lowest points of my life given the fact that I had so much talent and then obviously I was in a doghouse my whole career in college football and still being able to get drafted. I had an agent. My agent told me that if I'd have played one or two games, full games, I would have been drafted in the first round. So it was very disappointing that I was even in a position to not get drafted or potentially not get drafted. Oakland Raiders actually came to my agent and said they were going to draft me for sure in the sixth or seventh round. And I hadn't played much football in college. I just was such a good athlete. And right. then they passed on me. I had a draft party. My whole family was there. And so it added to the devastation. Yeah. But at the time, I had uh, my my son, Caden. Now he's 11. But at the time, he was about to be born. And I had to make a, 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 a fatherly decision because football wasn't yielding anything for me. And then I had a mentor that was an gr- incredible guy that kind of gave me this advice. He said, you pursue football with all you got until it's not yielding anything and you have to put an X on the calendar and transition. And this individual is a very successful. Um, I don't even know how much he's worth millions and millions of dollars. He's a businessman and he put it in perspective for me. He said, you know what? I, you know, Tom Brady, if you're not Tom Brady or these other guys that are making millions of dollars, you're not making that much money in the NFL. And it's in, in the lifespan is what three to five years yeah. and 80% of NFL players go bankrupt. And he was just telling me how he makes more than Tom Brady and it's going he's going to make that money for the rest of his life. Right. And so it, it really put in perspective that my only option wasn't just going to the NFL. And when my son was about to be born, I had a, a invite to a mini camp of a semi-pro team and it was the Omaha Nighthawks. Okay. And they wanted me to go to mini camp. But at the same time, I was thinking to myself, like, if I get hurt, what am I going to do? I mean, yeah. this little football, arena football, I like none of those things were yielding options that I thought were conducive as a father to take care of my son in a more consistent way. So I applied for the police department. And at the very same time, the police offered me a job, or at least they offered me to continue to process and potentially have a job there. At the same time, the Omaha Nighthawks had offered me to come to minicamp. And, you know, I think it was God. And I said, you know what? 
I think it's a better option for my family, for my son, for me to have a consistent job with benefits, reliability. All of those things uh, was more important to me than chasing a dream. That is one of the most sane processes someone can go through. And because for as many stories as there are of success, of a guy getting undrafted and then going on and becoming a Hall of Famer, there are, (laughs) for every one of those, there are probably a hundred of it going the other way. Like you said, with guys ending up going bankrupt, not yielding anything. But that at that young age, you were willing to make that decision on the advice of a mentor is pretty impressive. And that your forthcoming child really inspired you in that way. I, I got to believe Apple doesn't fall far from the tree and you got a lot of this wisdom from your dad. Is is that fair? A thousand percent. I mean, my dad loved being my brother. We always had a stable environment. Instability is not even a question for me. And so thinking about my son being born is like, I have no, I will never put my son through a situation where he don't know where his next meal is coming or I can't provide for my son because I'm chasing a dream that ain't yielding any money. I'm having to do this. I I said, you know what? I'm going to make a solid foundation and we'll see where it go from there. And I think a lot of it was my father and also God, you know, I'm a Christian. I'm a believer. I got saved in college, which changed my life, which is probably the most pivotal point in my life. And, And all of those things together, um, I think gave me the wisdom and God encouraged me to go the right path, even though I couldn't see that that was probably a better path than the NFL. And being a police officer is another pivotal point in my life that completely changed me. I will never be the same after being a police officer. I can only imagine. Let's get back to the first pivotal point. This turn to Christianity, you said you got saved in college. What happened? Yeah, so I always grew up in church, you know, being in Texas, you play, you go to church and you play football. Yeah. And so I like to use the phrase that I was in church, but church wasn't in me. You know, we would routinely go, but we didn't read our Bible after church, whatever. So it was retained in my consciousness that there was a God. And when I got to college and things didn't work out for me, it, I had to consider it again. Like, I don't know where I'm going. You know, I'm very, uh, I feel like I'm at a low point in my life. I don't know where to turn. I need to get in, you know, get in a better relationship with God and see if this is really something that I can use um, to better my life and to give me a better perspective. I start, so I started going to church in 2008. So I, I got to college 2005, 2008 is when this realization happened for me. And I started going to church. I had these visions about God and, and my experiences with changing my life before I ever really had an experience of getting baptized and all of that stuff in church. And I just kept going and I went to a church, Emmanuel Grace Apostolic Church. I'll never forget it. I didn't know what apostolic was. I, we all, we grew up going to Baptist church. So right. when I saw apostolic, I didn't know what that kind of church it was. But I felt loved. I felt appreciated. I felt um, like I was actually hearing the word of God. And the preacher would preach about Jesus, not all the prosperity stuff. He would literally preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's the first time that I ever really heard a pure form of the gospel I never forget, you know, my pastor saying that Jesus is the door. You know, you know, you can't go around the door. You can't go, you know, you got to go through the door. And that just really changed me. I got baptized. Um, I, I, you know, in our, in our faith, we believe in receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. So I got baptized, receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues is what they call it. And I was never the same. I threw away all my rap music. Wow. It's, before that day, I threw it away. I threw it away. I wanted to start over. And I used to be very different than I am now. Like I used to have gold teeth in my mouth. I have a young savage tattooed across my stomach that I can't never get rid of. Now I'm, I guess I'm an old savage now, but uh, so I, it really changed who I am or who, who I was and my attitude and my perspective on life. And, and even me cursing, like I quit cursing at the time and, you know, God just really revolutionized my life. And so that really projected me, through the hard times with perspective. And that's how ultimately I I believe I made the right decision because God had called me to something different in football. It's, it's remarkable. And then you said the other big pivotal thing that you've never been the same since becoming, since spending your time in the police department, it was an interesting choice. You, there were probably a lot of opportunities for a guy like you, uh, but you chose to apply to the police department. Why? Yeah, so it's the interesting part of it is that, um, you know, I had to have a degree because I graduated because my father told me, I don't care what happened in football, you better get your degree. It's free. 
And so I ended up graduating. So I had a degree. So I had a a lot of options, but it was, it was kind of like it fell into place because I never thought about being a police officer. Um, I didn't mention this before, but I got arrested when I was eight years old for smoking marijuana in a vacant house. Eight and years so, old. Oh, my gosh. Old. And I quit smoking marijuana at eight, you know, because <laughs> I was smoking when I was seven. My cut, my older cousins would buy the weed and we'd go to the house. We'll smoke. My dad and them never knew because their oh. parents weren't as strict as ours, you know, they, so so on and so forth. But that was my only experience with police. And it wasn't really a favorable one. You know? So I would imagine um, not. I never really I never thought about being a police officer and growing up in the community I grew up in. You know, it was it was a disdain for police. Now I realize it was unjustifiable, but there was this underlying disdain for police officers. And so I never really thought about it. But once I got saved, I said, you know what? The slate is clean. I'm going to do what, you know, treat people the way I want to be treated, judge each individual by the way they act. And so I applied for everything in the city of Tucson, Arizona, everything. And so police was one of them. Your police job was one of them. And they were offering good benefits. So I say, you know, what do I got to lose? Yeah. And then one day they called me back. You know, it, it was it was kind of interesting because at the time my son's mom and I were engaged. And I think this was right around the time where we broke up. And and uh, I remember we got into an argument about the engagement ring on the phone. And uh, the next day I get a phone call from the police. And I'm thinking to myself, she called a police on me over a, <laughs> a disagreement over an engagement <laughs> ring. And I'm thinking they're calling the, the like, you know, I'm in trouble. And so they end up, you know, I almost hung up on them. But then they say, hey, you apply for the job. Are you still interested? And I'm like, of course I am. Let me see what it's about. And I knew, I knew nothing about policing. And then I decided to do a ride along. Because I said, if I'm going to do this job, I need to make sure that it's something I really want to do. Because yeah. I know nothing about policing. And I did a ride along with Officer Sean Payne. I wrote about it in my book, Being Black and Blue. But he was such an inspiration to me. That guy for the first time in my life, and I say this every time I speak about it, is that I saw a hero. You know, these athletes, shout out to them. You know, it's, yeah. it's very, you know, you got to work hard. You got to be dedicated. But there is nothing like what I saw Sean Payne do. Literally put his life on the line right in front of me and have the composure and poise to go back to being a normal person and do this every day. I mean, he literally, I'll, I'll tell you this story real quick. So we get, I go on the shift. Um, First call out of the gate was an elderly woman who needed her tire changed on the side of the road. So we pull over. He's helping her change a tire. And, and in my mind, I'm like, this ain't that hard. <laughs> Very next call, we get a, 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 a suicidal subject. It comes out on the radio that a kid is actively trying to commit suicide at this particular location. We jump in the car. We're going 75, 80 miles per hour down a residential street. I mean, you know, like a residential road. Right. And we almost got killed a couple of times because people don't know how to move to the right. Right. So we're going through the light. We're flying. We get to the apartment complex. We end up finding the unit and they brief me. Like, have you ever seen a person dead? Have you ever seen a person? Because they thought he may have shot himself. Right. Have you ever seen a person shoot himself in the head? And I'm like, I'm overwhelmed. I don't know what I'm about to see, but I didn't want to punk out, you know, so. Um, they get there, they force entry into the door. They let me stand down the hallway. And once they went in, they let me come and look in the door. And the kid, sure enough, he was in the back of, of, a, of a small apartment complex sitting at a table with a knife in his hand. He had cut his wrist. He had blood all over him. And Sean Payne ended up negotiating with him to drop the knife, put the knife down. He took him into custody. They got him the help they needed. And I'm flustered at this point. I'm completely flustered. I've never seen anything like that in my life. The driving was enough for me. Yeah. And we get back in the car and Sean Payne is literally resuming the conversation we had back at the traffic stop. And I couldn't believe it. I, I'm like, my heart is racing. And I'm like, dude, like, does this not just affect you right now? And he was yeah. cool as a cucumber. And from that point on, you know, and I asked him, I said, is this something that happened every day or this like a one off? He's like, no, we do this every day. And I was, from that point on, I was incredibly inspired. And I said, you know what, God, I, I want to be a hero like Sean. I I'm going to become a police officer. And I did. And it was the greatest decision of my, one of the greatest decisions of my life. That's an amazing tale. That is remarkable. I mean, it really is. I don't, I don't know that any of us could really imagine what that must have been like. We see it on TV, but it's a far different thing when oh. it's right there in front of you, isn't it? It is It is not the same. I, I realized when I became a cop that m- the general public have no idea what cops actually do. I mean, the cops is a edited, ver- a PG version of policing in America. You know, or any of these shows, they kind of have a PG, PG version. There's nothing like actually being on the scene 
with a person who's committed suicide and seeing a person or, you know, uh, being in an active shooter situation. I mean, life and death every day you wake up, you know, you, every day you go to work, you face with life and death situations. And that is just nothing that's comparable. You can't even explain it. You have to experience it. But that was definitely a life changing thing for me. Well, and now your life is even more different. And when we come back from this break, Officer Brandon Tatum is going to tell us why he left the police force and what happened next, which made him go viral to start with. And now he's an incredibly well-known internet and radio star. Back with more after this. You know, since November of last year, the stock market has plummeted, but gold Gold has been on the rise. Gas prices are insane. The stock market is all over the map. Inflation is even worse than it was a year ago. And we have this war between Russia and Ukraine that we hope doesn't spread any further. And we hope it ends soon. But all of this instability, well, the markets don't like it. But the good news is you have options. Gold prices are rising as investors turn to gold for protection. Gold provides a hedge against inflation and protects against a weakening dollar. Legacy Precious Metals is the only company I trust when investing in gold and silver. You need an investment that's going to protect your wealth and your retirement. Legacy Precious Metals is the place I'd say you should call. Be proactive while there's still time. Because remember 2008? Those who invested in gold saw huge gains while others simply lost their retirements. Legacy Precious Metals can advise you on all of your options for investing in gold and silver just call them. Ask them your questions. You can speak to an IRA expert at Legacy Precious Metals. Here's the number, 866-528-1903, 866-528-1903, or download their free investor's guide at LegacyPMInvestments.com, LegacyPMInvestments.com. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. All right, Officer Brandon Tatum. So you spent how long in the police department? And this is in Tucson, right? Yeah, six, six and a half years. What made you leave? So I didn't want to. I mean, it was not something that I thought about as far as I, you know, premeditated leaving. Um, I had went back to school to get my master's degree because I wanted to be the chief of the police department. And mind you, my father was a chief of the fire department. He was a firefighter my whole life. So I had a chance to see him grow in the ranks and become, you know, a very influential person on, and, and create change on the fire department. And that's what I wanted to do on a police department. And while I was a police officer, I be, I started to become more aware of politics because, you know, I, I was a Democrat. I'm black. I'm a Democrat. There's no, you know, that's it where I grew up at. Yeah. And so, you know, I never voted before, but I liked Barack Obama because he was black, you know, and I thought it was, you know, it was, a, it was to me at the time, it was a great accomplishment for our country yeah. that the first black president was going to be elected. Yeah. Um, however, I didn't know much about politics. And then I remember I got my first paycheck and I said, wait a minute. <laughs> I thought I was making $21 and 80, an hour is what they told me. After I got my check, the federal tax, state tax, my dues, uh, pension. I ain't have no money. I thought I was going to get a new car and a new apartment, and I had no money after that check. And I, I remember thinking, I got who am I going to vote for to make this change? You know. Yeah, yeah. And all the guys on the police department were conservative, and so they would always tell me, "B, you're not a you're not a Democrat." I mean, look at the principles you 
support, and I don't think that the Democrats support any of those principles. I don't think Barack Obama, and it took Barack Obama, I forget what year it was, Barack Obama, when all the police shootings were happening, and he was just disparaging police officers on television. And even when he was wrong, he never come back to correct the script. I mean, we, I saw the effects of his, his rhetoric on duty. Guys would challenge us more, especially black people in our community, would just be so hateful and evil to us because of the rhetoric that, were being, that was being spewed from the media and also the president of the United States. And I said, I'll never vote for another person ever again in my life that don't respect the men and women that wear the uniform. And that's when my political ideas begin to change. Never looked at a Republican before. And I said, let me check the Republicans out. Maybe they're not that bad. Ben Carson was running. He's an amazing man. Yeah, he is. I thought he would be the president. And um, he dropped out and endorsed Trump. And I was shocked because I thought Trump was playing. I didn't yeah. think he was serious. I thought this big billionaire guy's jumping in the race and embarrassing all these politicians because, you know, they got to follow a script and he don't. Yeah. But then when Ben Carson endorsed him, I said, let me look into this. I went to a rally in Tucson right after my midnight shift. I stayed up and went to the rally and I was shocked. I said, well, wait a minute. I think Trump is saying everything I believe in. You know, he, he's he's very convincing. None of the people at the rally were racist and white supremacists and throwing the black people out just because they black, like the media said. Yeah. The protesters were the craziest people I've ever seen. They were they were filled with hate, evilness, and it and it woke me up to a certain degree to what was going on politically. And so I I uh, made a video about my experience at a Trump rally, and I wasn't really on either side. I just was kind of impressed that Trump had said what he said. But I made the video, and it went viral. Donald yes, Trump it shared it. Uh, uh, so a lot of pretty high profile people shared the video. And of course, I never made a video before, so I didn't expect it to do anything. I thought like the 50 people that follow me would see it and they would understand yeah. what, what my experiences were. I remember going to sleep and waking up and feeling like, oh, my God, I'm going to get fired. Like, because <laughs> I said I spoke my mind, you know, some yeah, guy got did. beat up at the event and I said, that's what he get. He shouldn't have been doing <laughs> what he's doing. And uh Fox News. I didn't know what Fox News was. I mean, I knew what Fox News was, but I didn't know what Fox and Friends was. I didn't know who Hannity was. Um, and I remember I got those requests to go on television and the Brussels attack happened, the terrorist attack in Brussels. Mm -hmm. And they canceled all of my appearances except Fox and Friends. So I ended up in the middle of my shift at two o'clock in the morning because of the time zone difference. I ended up doing Fox and Friends and that led me to be more vocal about my political ideas because that first video was viral. And I said, you know what? It, it may be beneficial for me to give context to how I feel about some of these things. And all my videos did really well. Colin Kaepernick was the biggest one that, that changed my life yeah. because I was, you know, obviously being a police officer, I love this country. You know, uh, I have the utmost respect for men and women that put on the uniform and that have died so that we can fly, you know, the red, white, and blue. And Colin Kaepernick taking a knee for the national anthem was just, I, I just had enough of it. Yeah. Made a video in my car and I'll give you the backstory. Cause I don't, I, I don't really tell people this because I kind of skip over it. Some people may think it's irrelevant, but I wasn't going to make the video because my friend James T Harris right here in Phoenix, Arizona, he, he made a video, had 14 million views. And I remember saying, I don't need to make a video. He already made a video. That's exactly how I feel. What's the point? Yeah. And one of my friends from Australia, he was a guy I met from the first video. He just befriended me and we were cool. He said, he called me and said, Brandon, you need to make a video about this because you have a unique perspective. And I'm like, whatever, dude, I'm not making a video. <laughs> and then I was arguing with a guy that I played ball with. He, he played in the NFL and he was talking trash to me. And then he made a comment. You just mad because you didn't make it to the NFL. Oh, and that is like all of that together is what made me just go, Oh, mm -hmm. like you guys are living in a fake reality. NFL is a game. Policing is not a game. You know, like I made this rant in my car in a hundred degree weather in the garage with my SWAT hat on. And that went mega viral, 70 million views. Yep. And that's when I got offered a position from a, from a company in Anthem, Arizona to be the spokesperson of their conservative news outlet. And, uh, I, you know, I gave it a try. You know, they were paying me a lot of money compared to what I was making as a cop. They said, hey, do it for a year. And if you don't like it, you, you're, you're forever a cop. You can go back to being a police officer. Right. So I tried it. I met Candace Owens, and then I never went back. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's, a remarkable, it's a remarkable story. I mean, it really is that you were speaking your mind. Do you have 
any second thoughts about either of those videos? Any regrets? Any did 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 you lose friends? Because that that puts you on the map. I mean, it really did. But there are a lot of people who disagreed. A thousand percent. I mean, I don't regret any of it because I I only know how to do one thing, and that's to be honest. You know, yeah. so it was that was exactly how I felt, and I don't regret that. But I did lose a lot of friends. I lose. I lost a lot of people that I went to school with. When I came out and I was aligned with Trump and being a Trump supporter and a conservative and Republican, I mean, every dude I went to school with just about, except one or two, just uh, just abandoned me. Right. Uh, even my church, the church that I said I went to and I got saved, the pastor was the only one that would even talk to me. Like wow. people in the church just just never talked to me again. They blocked me on social media. Um, one lady at the church, and I, ne- I ain't never heard Sister Sia cuss a one day in my life. She sent me a message and said, you ain't nothing but an N-word just like the rest of us. Oh. And, and, and I was, I could not believe that Sister Seal said that to me. And, and all because I had an opinion about President Trump. Right. And so it was bad. You know, uh, my family members didn't really uh, never say anything negative to, towards me. But I could tell that there was some tension there. You know, not my mom and dad. They They support me. Even though they disagree, sometimes they support me. But, uh, I, you know, it was a lot of backlash. You know, people call you a, you a sellout. You an Uncle yeah. Tom. Yep. You don't love your people. I mean, I still get that to this day. But I don't regret anything because with the loss of those fake friends, I call mm-hmm. them fake friends, you know, God revealed to me that there is also people in my life or people that should be in my life that are really my friends or they really care about me. Right. You know, they really have loyalty because mm-hmm. – if I disagree with you politically have nothing to do with my friendship with you, you know? So, right. Right. But, uh, it was, it was a, it was a great experience for me and I don't regret any of it. And so you and Candace Owen co-founded Blexit, right? Mm-hmm. And it, it just, how do you see that movement progressing? It, it, because like you said, you lost a lot of friends. H- have any of them sort of said, you know what, maybe you're right. Yeah, a lot of them. Uh, I wouldn't say most of them, but a lot of them have. A lot of people have come back around. A lot of people were secretly believing the same thing I believe, but they were too afraid to say it publicly because then they'll get what I got. Um, so a lot of people have come around. There's a lot of people that's more conservative than they're, they're willing to allude to because they don't want the backlash. You know, I live for it. I, I couldn't care less. You know, being a football player, being a cop, you know, somebody yeah. somebody not liking me on social media is nowhere near what I experienced as a cop. So I can deal with that. Um, so, but I think the movement is, 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 is more difficult than people imagine because the level of brainwashing that has gone on in our country is far beyond anything most people can comprehend. And we do see a change though, you know, Candace Owens and I are both examples of that. We both were Democrats and now we have moved over to be aligning ourselves most, mostly with conservative Republican values. And now look at our platforms and there's so many other people that have spawned out of just us stepping up and, and saying something. I mean, we were one of the first, we call it black Trump supporters, black conservatives to have a huge platform, not necessarily to come out. Cause there's a lot of black conservatives before us, Larry Elder and many others, but to, for the young people to have a huge platform, we kind of, we kind of put it on the map. Yeah. And, and I know now you speak to a lot of groups and you speak at a lot of schools have you run into that university kind of thing where people have tried to stop you from speaking? How do you handle that? Because that's rampant on campuses. Yeah, I think because I'm black, I don't get it as bad as the white guys, to be Isn't honest, or the white gals, because yeah. they really go so far as deeming them as a racist and a white supremacist and, and yeah. they and fascist. And they say all this crazy stuff. And it's easy for people on campus to see a white person and say, this person is white supremacist. And then they ban them from campus. I have had people try to stop me from going on campus. Uh, me and Candace, H- historically black colleges and universities, we pitch it to go talk to them on campus. They deny us every time. You wow. know, Candace went to one, that was it. But they none of these other ones will have us. I've had uh, one event I did at a church. And I think we did it at the church. I think it was that church event that I did in Oregon. I mean, the facility, no, it wasn't a church. It was another event. But the facility wanted me to pull out like a $5 million uh, insurance policy on my on myself for the event. They went back and forth. And, and the person emailed and got she and her and her, uh, you know, pronouns <laughs> yeah. and the thing. And you're like, she had blue hair. It was just, it was a mess. 
but I think I was able to cut through because I'm black. I, I'm just going to be honest. Like it's, it's hard to say he's a white supremacist, you know, he's a racist, yeah. you know, cause they yeah. didn't put themselves in a pretzel to where black people can't be racist. So then they have to, you know, lament to, to the situation. But one of the biggest situations I had on college campus was I went to Ryder university and it was only supposed to be 50 people there. 450 people showed up. Wow. 400 of the 450 were protesters that showed up to protest me being at the university because I said white privilege is a myth was the title of my speech. Okay. And it was very disappointing. I, I didn't leave. I didn't leave that event feeling good about that at all because yeah. they booed me. Um, one young girl wanted to ask a question. Her, her mom was a crackhead, but obviously she got a full scholarship to play at the, you know, at she run track for Ryder University. And, and I told her as honest as I could that you can be whatever you want to be in this country. God has put you in a position to change generations. You are the generational changer. Take advantage of it. Get your education. Start a family. You know, you can do it. You got this. They booed me. They, <laughs> they, can, they booed me. Boo. Uh, they talk over me. They were disrespectful. Yeah. It, it was absolutely mind-blowing. And so those experiences happen, but by and large, things are changing. Yeah. Yeah, it's... It's amazing. It's amazing to watch. It's amazing to watch the other side not argue or debate with you, but simply boo you and try to silence you. Uh, you know, where is the civil discourse and the debate? If they have a better idea, why don't they bring it to you and say, let's go after this idea? But instead, they're just there booing, making as much noise as they can to try to silence you. I mean, that's that's what they're attempting to do. Isn't that right? Well, yeah, most people don't act within... with. With uh, facts, it's emotions. So it's a small fraction of people I believe in this country that can cut through emotions and get to factual, fact-based arguments. And they've done their research and they actually care about the subject matter. And they go through the tough work of debating and stuff like that. Most people will never do that, and and that's what I experienced. Uh, People who were ignorant, people who didn't know facts, who didn't care about facts. Just the fact that I said white privilege is a myth was enough to emotionally charge enough people that they will never listen to what I have to say, even if it would benefit them. And so I've learned over time that that's what happens. It's not, I don't know if it's intentional, but some people just don't have the courage to be fact-based. It's easier to just rely on emotions. Well, that, that's, that is true. That is just simply true. It's much easier to just get emotional, feel like a victim that can't help him or herself rather than do the work, check out the facts and uh, maybe, maybe talk to people rather than just boo them. Um, Before I let you go, and it's just a pleasure to talk to you. What do you see as your mission now and how do you think you can accomplish it? Yeah, so I think that the way I look at my mission and my purpose is I, I look at it from the, the lens of Christ. So I say, what would God want me to do? Not what I want to do. What would God have me do? What talents and abilities can I allow God to use in me to influence other people? And so with the platforms that I've been given the direction that I've been traveling so far, I believe that it is me to serve the public by informing people with unbiased, I say unbiased, let me not say unbiased, I'm biased. So but <laughs> informing people with authenticity and using the talents and abilities to speak that God has given me to speak to the, to the public, be the voice of the people. Um, and then there's a lot of other things that spawn from that. You know, God has called me to help the poor and, and, you know, me and my wife, we give to charities all the time. And so all of those things are things that I believe my purpose is, and that's to serve. And in the way in which I serve on the radio, by being the voice of reason, doing all this research, 70 pages of content that I got to read every day. Um, <laughs> all of the, those things are, I believe, my mission for the people. And, and if God wants to change that, I'm flexible. I can go whatever route God wants me to go. But I think that's, and, and the way to accomplish it is this, just by having integrity, being consistent, and again, having a servant mentality that is not about me, not just about me. It's about serving other people and letting God use me is how I'll accomplish anything I want to accomplish in life. Well, it's a remarkable rise to this platform. I don't want to simply label you as someone famous. I don't want to label you as a celebrity. I don't want to label you. What I do want to acknowledge is the courage you have shown in every stage of your life 
to look for a different answer, to look for a better road, to look for the right thing, and to be brave enough to confront some of the things that you learned growing up and say, maybe there is a different way. Um, are you hopeful that Trump will run again? Or do you see the division in this country needing something more, maybe more unifying? What What are your thoughts about that? Well, that's a tough question. You know, I love Trump. And I, I think that outside of the noise and all the drama that the media creates on his, you know, on his behalf, I would, I would love to see him run the country because I think he's a great businessman and all of the above. However, I'm also sick of the bull crap. You know, yeah. I'm sick of the trauma and the, and the arguing back and forth. I, I wish that we could have some peace. I don't know if that's, that could be generated, you know, uh, if Ron DeSantis ran, which I think Ron DeSantis is the next best thing. Um, if he ran, they're going to call him a white supremacist and it's going to be the, the, the drama is going to continue. But I personally, I would love to see fair and balanced unity for our country in, in a way in which it's not so divisive. You know, Trump is very divisive yeah. and I am, I am like him, so I don't care. But when it comes to what's best for the country, you know, I don't know what's the best, you know, solution to the problem yeah. because I, I live for it. I love conservative values. I'm a far right winger. If they, you know, the, what they call us far right winger, I'm a Christian <laughs> and all that. So I think that what Trump is doing is great. I think we should, he should challenge the the populace, but I don't know if that's me being selfish or that's what's best for our country, you know, right. and I vote for him if he ran again, hands down, but I, I would like to see, uh, someone that could come in that can still do all the things that Trump does without the tweets and without the arguing and without yeah. the impeachments and all of the stuff yeah. that sometimes Trump do say to put himself in a pretzel. Yeah. <laughs> I, I wish that we had an opportunity to, to, to do this in a, in a, in a more balanced manner without all of the, the drama. Yeah. But yeah. I don't know if that's possible. When the media is hell bent on disparaging anybody that's a Republican. So it's a great question and a great point. I mean, it's um, I, I like to believe that people are waking up to the media bias in both directions and that, you know, uh, hopefully they're turning to, to more sane sources. And uh, but it's in short supply. And but I'm I'm happy that you've brought your voice to the table and to the airwaves and to everywhere you're bringing it. It's it's impressive. It's courageous. And I'm a fan. So congratulations. And thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. And I hope that you are very successful in all of your endeavors as well. I appreciate that. He is Officer Brandon Tatum. You can find him just about everywhere. So look for him. This has been Sideline Sanity. I'm Michelle Tafoya. Do good. Be brave. Have courage. So with the economy the way that it is, which is not great, makes you think about what is smart investing these days. I was given a gift of gold by my mom. My husband and I were gifted some gold for a wedding anniversary and we're really grateful. And I am really grateful to Charles Thorngren, who, grow, who joins us now from Legacy Precious Metals, a sponsor of Sideline Sanity. Charles, we appreciate you so much. You know, we're hearing more and more about how inflation ain't transitory after all, and it may be here a while. And, you know, food shelves are getting, the lines are longer. It, this is really, it's not the America I grew up in, and it's, it's worrying a lot of people. So if, if someone's thinking about investing, what do you tell them? You, you know, it's, it's an interesting conversation. Investing nowadays, uh, we, we want to go back to kind of the basics, really, where diversification has always been key and and we hear it we've been told it ad nauseum you know diversify diversify and then everyone puts all their money in the stock market and wonders <laughs> why when there's a pullback they're in trouble diversity means asset class diversity as well you know some real estate um some precious metals these are the things that gives your portfolio the legs to stand through all the storms that will happen financially and and, and we know that they happen they happen continuously and they recur so that's what diversity is truly meant to do. And that's why people used to talk about diversity. So when people see the value of the dollar declining or they see inflation, um, how do you get 
the average person like me to understand that gold can still be appreciating or that gold can protect right. against that stuff. How, how does that make sense for people? You know, the, the easiest way to look at it is if you look at gold, right? Gold is the anti-dollar investment. As a dollar gets weaker, gold gets stronger. And we know that because it takes more dollars to buy that gold, just like cars cost more now, right? Um, anytime you have inflation, the item that you're buying costs more. The difference with gold is that it doesn't devalue. It's considered a alternative currency. Basically, when you say that I don't have complete faith that this financial system is not built on a house of cards, or I don't have complete faith in, in what the current Fed is doing to fight inflation, this is where gold comes in. And this is where we see people increase their amount of gold because a diversified portfolio should have some gold regardless. We need to remember that the United States Fed says 2 to 3% inflation is ideal. So that means for the average saver, if your retirement account's invested and it's based in dollars, that you're going to lose 60% of your purchasing power to inflation by the time you're ready to retire. And that's under the best of terms. And now we can talk about the, oh, it's transitionary. Oh, no, maybe I was wrong. Um, maybe we need to do half basis points every month for the rest of the year and then see where it's at next year. These are scary things that mm -hmm. the experts are trying to tell us that maybe we didn't have it right. And this is why people have gold. And this is why it offers that protection. It's interesting. Uh, I, you know, I think people think, well, if I'm investing in gold, do I actually possess the gold in, you know, I have it in a safe. Do I have, how do you get gold? How do you keep gold? Right. And, and physical gold. I mean, this is what we do. So yes, if you're buying it outside of an IRA, we can deliver it right to your home and you can put it in your own safe. You can put it in your safety deposit box. If you don't feel comfortable with that, we do offer storage for our clients as well. Okay. So there's lots of options. Uh, in the IRA, it's stored for you, just like your IRA account. You don't have access to those stocks. So if you were to take funds from your IRA, you could make that investment and you'd have the retirement account invested in the precious metals as well. And it would be handled just like every other IRA account. That's really interesting. And, and now I'm going to ask you a tough one, and I hope you'll forgive me, but I'm just going to be candid uh, and, and ask what I think might be coming to people's minds. Sure. If the experts in Washington are making all these mistakes or they were wrong about inflation, then they're going to look at you and say, hey, Charles, why should I trust what you're telling me and why Legacy Precious Metals is the place to go? I'm asking this in an honest sure. way because I, because I, I know you want to be transparent about this stuff. So how would you Absolutely. answer that? You know, it really is. is I'm not a politician. Um, <laughs> I have no desire to be a politician. I like what I do, right? I help people prepare their finances. I help people with their retirements. I help people set up their funds so that their children and their grandchildren have something that's there. This is what I do. This is what I do for uh, enjoyment. Um, uh, very big in economics. Um, um, but metals is that thing that it's an alternative asset, right? When I was a stockbroker 30 plus years ago, it was unique kind of then. And then everybody was a stockbroker and everyone had stocks and there was nothing different. There was no protection. Everyone said the same thing. To me, it didn't make sense for everyone to be doing the same thing. If we all do the same thing, then we all fall together. And we know that if you follow the government's direction, you're buying into whatever they want to sell you. Now, it used to be politics was a little different. We have gotten into a place where we can't say that anymore. It's not always for the people. It's, we see that. We see that what they're doing with the economy itself. We know that we have to have something else. And this is why we do what we do here at Legacy. And my history is, is why people should, you know, give us a call, chat with us and see if it makes sense for them. Last thing I want to ask you about is I remember 2008, and I know a lot of people mm -hmm. do. And, it, 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 you know, that was a crash, and there have been other crashes. But why is it that when the economy crashes, gold has historically risen? I know you said it's sort of the anti-dollar. 
Right. Is there a way in layman's terms to explain why that happens? It's it's the safe place, right? When, when, when there's so much risk out there and people are losing so much money, they just want safety. Mm-hmm. So l- let's look at inflation. We know right now we're running close to eight and a half percent. Yeah. Uh, we can dig some real numbers out there and we can debate that, but we'll just take that number as it is. We'll use 8%. That means everything costs you 8% more this year than it did last year. And we know it's going to go higher because the Fed's already promised us a lot more interest rate raises, right? To fight inflation, but we know it's not enough. When they say things like, we'll try to raise half a basis point five times over the next six months and see where the economy's at next year, that in itself lets you know you need to find something that doesn't put your livelihood in their hands. They're, they're juggling an economy and the stock market, and it was never meant to be that way. So you have to protect yourself. And this is where gold comes in because it is the anti-dollar. The weaker the dollar gets, the stronger gold gets. And, you know, 2008, I remember after it happened, um, the people that would call and try to salvage their retirement accounts. And it was a very devastating time. People would call and they would be crying that they can't retire now. They have to continue to work. They're 67 years old and their plans are gone because they lost half their value. And that's devastating. You know, but this is where those who were involved in gold, they saw gold almost double in price. It offset the losses. It offset the losses. So again, Charles is not suggesting that you put all your money in one place, no. that not even gold, but diversify your assets and precious metals is a good way to go. And Legacy Precious Metals is the only company I trust when I talk about and do my investing in gold and silver. And you can contact them as well. LegacyPMInvestments.com. LegacyPMInvestments.com. I don't know why you would waste another minute thinking about it. Just talk to them. I mean, just ask them. See what your situation can can manage and handle and might require and just get some answers. Uh, Charles, I appreciate your time. Thanks for this. It's been very educational. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.